Okay, hey, we're in John 11, so we're having a break. We've just finished Ruth, uh, but eight, nine sermons. We're going to start Esther, okay? And there's, there's some stuff coming from Pippa on Esther with a little group of Bible readers come actors. Uh, so that's going to be developing. Who knows what the next one is going to be for production, you know, and, you know on site, you know, here in the Middle East somewhere. Uh, and videoed back to us, no doubt. Uh, but we're having a little break, so I thought we'll just do something in John 11. We started a couple of weeks ago. So let me ask, I'm going to throw this question out. Can God supply my need of food and nourishment today? Yeah, we believe you. We believe that, don't we? None of us here are concerned about today's food. Can God keep me well and healthy this coming week? Yeah, I think we can believe that, can't we? Most of us. Well, well, you know, we're going to make a healthy journey. Can God supply all the resources I need to make me physically, mentally, and financially uh, equipped this week? Can He provide everything? Yeah, we believe that. I'm sure most of us do. Can God make my work environment better than it has been? Who can believe for that? Get a little more complicated now, isn't it? A little more depth to it. Uh, can God heal back pain? Yeah. Can he heal me if I'm a quadriplegic? Yeah. Yeah. Can God bring a few new families to our church? Can he bring enough families to fill this entire gym? Can God save my neighbour? Can God save all my neighbours? The reason I'm throwing those things out is because I, wanna, I want us to consider how deep our faith goes. How far it stretches. We can believe that I'm going to have a meal today. That's a pretty easy thing to believe. Can we believe that God can raise dead man to life. How far does our faith go? And does it really go as far as we think it goes? I want to, I want to look at Martha today. Because Martha, I'm, I'm sure she's like many of us, her faith doesn't quite stretch as far as she thinks it does. So let's look at, let's look at Martha together. What time is it? Ten past. Boy, Starting late today. It's a special service. Okay. And we don't have any time limits in this building. It's just great. And you've got comfy seats, so there's no excuse uh, for getting uncomfortable. Look, here's our heading. It's in John 11. And it's this. is believe God. Simply that. Believe God. Believe God. Verses 17 to 24. So, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. You may remember we said he's up in the region of Bethania uh, in Israel. He's far, look, across the Jordan, right up the north. Bethany, where Lazarus is, is down in the south. And Jesus is up there. And by the time he arrives, Lazarus is already dead. And he's been dead four days. But we'll have the timeline, Nikki. If you remember, you may remember from the timeline we'd said that even if Jesus had left at the very day that the courier got to him, straight away that day, he still would have been two days too late. His delay didn't cause the death. 
It was rather a part of a bigger picture of what he was doing. Verse 18, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Okay, 3K, you know, for those of us down under. Okay, uh, and the reason it's in miles, because I think the Americans were chief translators of the Bible. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So look, this adds further away that this is a well-known family. Look, look, if I died, you're not going to get many of many Adelaideans come to my funeral. I mean, who knows me, okay? But look, the fact that so many people, look, many came from Jerusalem, is further away. This is a very well-known, well-established, popular, wealthy family. And it's partly why Jesus does his miracle in his delayed action, because, because many people were going to witness it. This is very specific. Jesus never did any miracles by accident. He didn't stumble across opportunities. He designed them. When did he design opportunities? When? In? Before he came. Before you were born. Before the world existed. He already planned Lazarus' resurrection. Get that one through your head. Okay? So, so this thing's organized because he wants maximum impact. The whole of Jerusalem is here. And he has a massive impact. Look, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come with Mary put their faith in him. So the delay, the two days delay, built up the miracle, buttressed it, amplified it, made sure that everybody knew he was really dead. Made sure everybody was waiting. Everybody had given up hope. And then, did the unthinkable. Raised him from the dead. Jesus, and here's the point, Jesus came delayed, but he wasn't delayed. And we said this last week, Jesus is never late. He's never late. He never wastes time. If something is going on in our experience, it's not happening quite when we expect it, Jesus isn't dragging his feet. His answer and his work is time. Every delay contributes to the finale. Now, just before I move on, I want to just notice something else here, really embedded in the text. It's why you know, we rely on scholars. Here's one. Uh, Professor Don Carson. Notice what he says here. The mention of the proximity of Jerusalem in this passage also heightens the reader's awareness of the immense risks, of the immense risks associated with Jesus coming so close to the capital and thus anticipates his death. Here's what Carson is saying. What, what happens if Jesus goes to Jerusalem? What's the issue? Why is he so far away? Why is he up? I know he's about baptizing up there. Why is Jesus so far from Jerusalem? Someone tell me. Yeah, there's a death order on his life, seriously. They're trying to kill him. And so he puts as much distance between himself and Jerusalem in order to stay safe. And look, Jesus is the Son of God, but he's using the ordinary means of life, the mundane elements of life to preserve his own life. He stays as far as as he can from Jerusalem. But the fact that he's coming to Jerusalem... And John now mentions it. Can you see what he's doing? He's heightening the tension, the irony. Because if Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, what's going to happen to him there? 
and and so Jesus is coming to resurrect Lazarus's life is at the cost of what his own life this is the gravity of this miracle it's partly why the delay is going on it's going to cost Jesus his life to resurrect Lazarus's life and really that epitomizes the cross it sums up it's why in chapter 12 he says these words the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified you see that journey to Jerusalem was Jesus's last he led to the cross and just as Lazarus's death epitomizes I said he epitomizes what he does for us is that Jesus dies for Lazarus Jesus's death on the cross does what for us saves us he resurrects us to life he gives his life on the cross like he gave his life going to Jerusalem for Lazarus as he resurrected Lazarus what will Jesus do John 5 on the last day the son of man will do what he will he will to every dead body to every corpse to every grave he will give out what an assurance and say it won't be Lazarus come forth it will be Tony and Jack and Elizabeth and Susan. He will command the resurrection of every soul. Here's the thing. See, if he can resurrect the guy who's been dead four days, do you reckon he can resurrect the guy who's been dead four years? What's the difference? Do you reckon he can resurrect the guy who's been dead 2,000 years and who was perhaps blown up by a missile? What's the difference to Jesus? He will resurrect every soul. And so this coming to Jerusalem is paving the way for the cross. Let me move on. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Which of the two, Mary and Martha, is the restless of the two? Cast your minds back to Luke. They both begin with M, so it's hard. Which is who's the restless of the two, Mary or Martha? Martha. It's Martha. She's the one who remember. I think it's. I think got the verse, haven't they? Uh, Luke ten. Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? She's the one who's agitated. Always the busybody, you know. And always, and think about busybodies is they think everybody else should be a busybody. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, and, and so here she is. She's a busybody, but she wants to know why no one else is doing any work. And here she is. Here she is. Look, her brother has just died. Mary's weeping and mourning. What's Martha doing? She's agitated. She gets to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, where were you? And so Jesus speaks to her. Verse 22. Let me just read verse 21. Martha said, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And And so she continues, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Does Martha believe that Jesus can raise her brother to life? Look, even now, God will give you whatever you want. Does she believe that Jesus can raise Lazarus to life? No. 
You're all wrong. She doesn't. She doesn't believe it at all. So what did I think at the beginning? About how far our faith stretches. Because we can all say we believe God can do something. But when push comes to shove, I'm not sure Mary has no comprehension of any kind of raising a brother to life now whatsoever. Not at all. Look, let me show you if you don't believe me. So she answers, but I know that even now, listen to her, even now, right now, right this minute, okay, God will give you whatever you ask. You can raise my brother to life right now, Jesus. I believe it. She doesn't. She doesn't. Listen, John 11, same place, 38. But once more Jesus deeply moved, came to the tomb, and he, and he says, and saw the stone over the entrance, verse 39. Take away the stone, he says. And who objects? <laughs> the lady who says, you can do anything, Jesus, is the first one to say, don't do that, Jesus. He's dead. He's decaying. Listen to it. Look, look. But Lord said, my sister, the man is dead. By now there's an odour. Does Martha believe that Jesus can raise her brother to life right now? No, she doesn't. She doesn't. You see, there's a distinct, covert lack of faith in Martha. You see, let's be fair to them. Let's be kind to Martha. She does believe. At one level, you know, you know, of course you do. You know, I believe God can raise the dead. Of course I do. But you put a dead person in front of me, and if I felt an inclination to pray for them at the funeral service, to go up to their coffin and say, rise, I don't think I could do that. I don't, I don't think I really believe he could do that. Oh, I can brag that I do. Yeah, I believe it. I don't think I really believe it. And Martha sort of believes Jesus. I know you can. But she doesn't really believe that God can do that. You see, it was, it's more a case of this, isn't it? I believe he'll rise again in the resurrection, she says in another part. Is she can believe God can do something so long as it's out there. So long as it's like all the way over in Africa. I believe God raises dead people in Africa. Don't we? We can believe that. But I don't think we can raise one in Australia, in Modbury. Who believes? I mean, we don't really believe that. We say we do. But do we really? Martha, it seems, can believe things that were distant, that, were, that weren't tangible then and then. Where, you know, she wasn't going to have to answer for this right now, but she wasn't expecting to answer for this right now. But Jesus, Jesus calls her bluff, I think. Look, Peter had a similar issue, didn't he? Remember when Peter stepped out of the boat? What was he doing? He was walking on water. His faith kind of stretched that much. But what happened to Peter? As soon as he began to weigh up the circumstances, gosh, look what I'm doing. I'm on the sea. I know what this sea like. I know what water feels like. He begins to sink. You see, his faith couldn't go the distance. Distance. And I think that's something of what's happening with Martha here. 
verse 24, she says, I know. Look, Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. She's the one who says, Lord, you can do anything. So Jesus responds, well, he's going to rise. And her immediate response is, was she betrayed by her response? So Jesus says, okay, your brother will rise. And she responds, can you see what, can you see the caliber of her faith? Her response is, yeah, Jesus, I know he's going to rise in the resurrection. Come on, Martha. You just said, you know, if you were here, I could raise your brother. Well, I'm going to do it. And yet, it's just that distant, alien, you know, who knows if the resurrection will even happen? Hey, I can believe Jesus is going to resurrect me in 2,000 years. That's easy. You're not going to be here to hold me accountable, are you? Okay? And so her faith isn't quite where it should be. It's, it's not sufficient. It's, not, it's limited. It's small, if you like. It doesn't go the distance. It cannot envisage that Jesus would do the impossible there and then. Right now. I guess it's why sometimes we're tempted, isn't it? When someone has got an injury, we we want to pray the safer prayers, don't we? Who wants to embarrass themselves? When I was 16, I was a fool. You're probably thinking nothing has changed, has it? Okay. (laughs) I used to go around the hospital wards of our local hospital every Saturday. Me and my friend, we just got converted, and we used to go and preach on the radio and play hymns, how great thou art, and all these famous to the patients. But we used to go around first, get their requests, and we used to pray with them. And I would regularly, no joke, be praying for amputees out loud. We know how loud my voice is. Out loud, in front of all the other patients on the ward, with this guy who just had his leg removed, Jesus, make this man's leg grow back right now. Seriously. Now, I never saw one grow back then. I know friends who have. Seriously, I have friends who have seen that. But you know what? To my shame, I don't think I could do that now on a big hospital ward. And that's not because I'm now mature. It's not that. I I like to think, you know, well, I'm much more, you know, know, mature now. And I take a, a much more adult approach to these things. It's not that. You know what it is? I don't really believe that God could do that. Oh, I'm convinced myself I do. I'm going to pray a safe prayer. You know, you know like we do. Well, and if it is your will, <laughs> it gives us the clothes, the get out clothes, doesn't it? Safe face. It's because I don't really believe in it. I think that's what's happening with Mary. It's why she objects, Lord, by now there's a stench. Look, you know Blondin. I mean, I don't think I've used this story in this country. Uh, Blondin and Niagara Falls. Here's a guy... Uh, in the 1800s, 1859, put a tightrope across it, believe it or not. And he used to walk across it. He walked across it. He cycled across it. He cooked an omelette in the middle of it. Seriously, on a tightrope. Uh, uh, he, he did a dance on it. He, seriously, he's done everything you can imagine. He went across with his feet and hands shackled. This guy was crazy. 
And then he pushed the wheelbarrow. Well, now you've got a wheelbarrow. You may know the story. He says, does anybody believe I can push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? Yes! Of course you can! We believe in you. And so he does it. He gets back. And he's getting cheered by the crowd. And then this is a true story, by the way. I wasn't there. I might look like I'm that old, but I wasn't quite there. Okay? Then he says, who believes I can put a person in this wheelbarrow and push them across it? Yeah, we believe you can do it. Seriously, it's documented. And you know his next question, don't you? <laughs> who, who wants to get in the barrel? And there was silence. Can you see? Our faith may just be like that. It doesn't quite stretch enough doesn't last the journey. We can't quite envisage a gymnasium from a small church being filled. And, and particularly because it hasn't happened before. So why would it happen now? It didn't happen at the last place or the place before. So why would it happen now? Can you see how we rationalise faith and rob it of its potency? If that's what we think, go home. <laughs> Seriously, if we're sitting here thinking, well, it didn't grow in the last place. We spent thousands of dollars there. It's not going to grow here, is it? And if you're thinking that, you're better off just going home. Seriously. Because the thing about faith, it doesn't look to rationale. It believes in the impossible. Because Jesus can, right now, resurrect the dead. And look, don't hear me rebuking you, because I don't know to what extent I really believe he can do that. I hope my faith needs more of the Holy Spirit to to energise and develop and build. I need that too. And look, at what the early church, look, we're not different to anyone of history. Look at the early church. Remember when they were praying for Peter? Peter's jailed. Acts, Acts 12. They're praying for Peter. They're praying for him to be released. And what happens at the door? <laughs> Who's at the door? Peter! And what do they say? When Rhoda goes and says, Peter's at the door, they tell her, you're out of your mind, woman. And what are they doing? They're praying for Peter. And he's there. And they're saying, don't be silly. Did the early church, were they any better than Martha? It's it's how things are. They just couldn't quite bring themselves round to it. Friends, here's what this episode in the Bible shows us. The reason these things are recorded is because it fuels faith. It develops and buttresses faith. It grows our faith. It utilises and channels our faith. Jesus is demonstrating through Lazarus' resurrection that there is nothing that he cannot do. And I think once one of the messages that comes out of it is, is that we mustn't restrict him by rational thinking, mature thinking. By the times of the age or the country we live in. Oh, that stuff happens in Africa. But God doesn't really do that in Modbury, does he? Hope Valley. Do you know, 
this is the most wonderful suburb to be in, isn't it? Hope Valley. What a place to be in. Hope Valley. These things are in Jesus' words for them because he wants to encourage and elevate our faith. Let's believe. Let's put aside reason and doubt. And what the past, who cares? And what matters now is the going forward. What matters now is what Jesus will do now, today, next Sunday. That's where the action is now. And hey, who knows? Seriously. Yeah, how far will our faith stretch? Hey, pin it to the wall and make it go the distance. However little our faith, whatever may have dampened it, whatever may have crushed it or robbed it of its potency, let's exercise it. Faith like muscles. That's why I've got such big ones, you see. Okay. It wasn't even funny. Okay. Faith like muscles develops with growth. You know, as we invite people and people come, it buttresses faith. You know, let's be active to, to strengthen our faith. Let's believe his words. So look, here, let me take some examples. 2 Corinthians 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you. When we're struggling through circumstances, believe the word. His grace is sufficient for you. Friends, when, when we're lacking need, daily necessities for life, believe what he says. He says in Matthew 6, Therefore do not worry, but seek the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Believe it. When you feel alone, look, you can be in a room in a church this size and be alone. You can be alone at TTP, or you can be alone in your bedroom. Loneliness is a, is a strange reality. It doesn't, it's not about people. It's about experience, isn't it? When you feel alone, Believe what Jesus says. And he says these words to you. Never will I leave you. That's why we sang. You know, welcome Holy Spirit. He doesn't need welcoming because he's already here. But, but that gesture shows our communication and dependency and welcoming of him. He's here by his spirit. You're never alone. You've never been alone and you never will be alone. In fact, before your conversion, before you knew who he was, you were never alone. You have never been absent of his presence from your life. How do you think you made it to your conversion? It wasn't a case of you kind of managed by yourself to your conversion. You did the best you can. And then when you got converted, Jesus gave you the spirit and picked you up. No! No! His spirit has been alongside you your entire life. He led you to Jesus. He brought you to faith. And yes, uh, our conversion, our experience of the Spirit changes, I'm sure. We get filled, encapsulated by Him. And when we worry about our lives and what our lives may be going, what the future holds, believe what He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You don't need to know. 
you anything like me? You're something nosy, aren't we? But we don't need to know exactly what Jesus is doing with us. All we need to know is that there's a plan. And he says, I know the plans I have for you. And for a church our size, wonders are we going to grow? What he says, I will build my church. It's what he does. It's what he does best. Let's believe that that is what Jesus is doing here. And if we've yet to encounter Jesus, he says to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. However you came in here, you can leave connected to Jesus, full of his presence, his spirit in your life, by believing in him. So my message is this, believe him. I'm preaching to myself as much, if not more, than I'm preaching to you. Believe him, take him at his word, believe the impossible. Let me give you a couple of quotes. I've almost finished, almost finished. Uh, from a speaker, well-known speaker in America. If the size of your vision for your life isn't intimidating to you, if what we're expecting isn't intimidating, there's a good chance it's insulting to God. If I came here with a million bucks and you came to me and asked me for two cents, what would that, what's that say? Can you see the point? And then the second thing by the same preacher... If you have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. Hey, did you hear that? If you have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. I wonder if we lack or see so little of the spectacular, the miraculous, because we can't really bring ourselves round to asking for such a ridiculous thing. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. He says those words. And remember this, and it's an important thing. Look, I don't want to beat up on us and I want to say I don't want to put too close a relationship between not seeing God work powerfully and our possible lack of faith. But there is some connection. Listen, Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do many miracles there. Why? (coughs) Because of a lack of faith. You know when we come on Sundays? Bring your rucksack of faith on your back. And let's, let's exercise it together. And he did say, and he says to us, and I'm sure this is a word for us as a church, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha believed as long as it remained, you know, at a distance, safe, manageable, level, the objective level. You know, yeah, yeah, Jesus, he's going to be resurrected. May we have, who, may we who have the testimony of God's word, who have the Holy Spirit within. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus' body to life. 
that Holy Spirit indwells you. Maybe who have Jesus' word and his Holy Spirit know something of the faith that asks and believes the impossible and sees God accomplish the impossible. In our lives, in our work environments, in our homes, in our circumstances, in our church, in our community. May God's Spirit impact this neighbourhood and its people and the church that has taken root here powerfully for his glory. Amen.